Hey everybody, welcome to Where the Fuck Are We? The foreign affairs show that asks the three most important questions for Americans. Where the fuck are we? Why the fuck are we there? And what the fuck does it have to do with me? I'm Kevin Janis. I'm Benari Poulton. And who the fuck are we? Barry, tell them who we are! Benari Poulton is a writer and comedian, an adjunct professor at Cal State Fullerton, and a master sergeant in the U.S. Army Reserve, where he is affectionately known as G.I. Jew. Kevin Janis, in addition to being a very funny comedian and writer himself, is a fancy New York-based litigator, a Canadian, and like all Canadians, an expert at being foreign. Thanks, Barry. And as always, I remind everyone that my opinions are my own and in no way reflect the opinions of the United States Army, the U.S. government, our allies, coalition forces, or anyone in authority of any sort. All right, so where the fuck are we this week? We're in Libya. And why the fuck are we there? It's been more than a year since the attacks in Benghazi, Libya, that left four Americans dead. A recent New York Times report claiming the attack was not the work of al-Qaeda has reignited a debate over who was to blame. Benghazi, the newman to President Obama's Seinfeld. Yeah, every few months, Benghazi pops back up in the news with someone claiming they know what actually happened. But look, before we get to that shitstorm, we should try to put everything in a historical perspective. As we do. And how do all Americans like to get their info, Kevin? In a sports-style highlight reel. That's right, this ain't history. This is the Blitztery! The 7th century BC. Phoenicians settle in Tripolitania. Western Libya and uh-oh, Carthage comes rumbling, stumbling, bumbling in to conquer that area the very next century. 4th century BC, here come the Greeks to colonize Cyrenica in the east of the country, which they rebrand as Libya. 74 B.C. The Romans conquer Libya. But they can only hold on to it until 643 A.D. when the Arabs take over and spread Islam. And they could go all the way until the 16th century when Libya becomes part of the Ottoman Empire. The Ottomans dominate into the early 20th century, but Italy swoops in to take possession and it sparks a 20-year insurgency. Italy unites the provinces into the colony of Libya, but are ousted by the French and British in the 1940s. 1951, Libya becomes independent under King Idris. A decade later, King Idris opens a 104-mile pipeline, making it possible to access Libyan oil for the first time. That's a real game-changer. And here comes Mr. Game-Changer himself. Muammar Gaddafi, who ousts King Idris in a military coup in 1969. Kicking off over four decades of debate on how to spell Gaddafi. Gaddafi! And it's one revolution after another with this guy. Violence rocks Libya in the 80s, bringing it head-to-head with the U.S. and U.K. a number of times. But it's the 1988 Lockerbie plane bombing, which forces the U.N. to impose sanctions. 1999, Libya turns Lockerbie suspects over to the Netherlands under Scottish law. Sanctions are suspended. Diplomatic relations are restored with the UK. 
Libya next turns its attention to mending fences with the U.S. after years of state-sponsored terrorism. Libya agrees to abandon its weapons of mass destruction program, and by 2005, U.S. oil companies have returned to the country. 2009, Gaddafi, elected chairman of the African Union, even his growing anti-Gaddafi movement gains steam in Libya. 2011, a rebel uprising sparks a violent outbreak and chaos in Libya. Gaddafi refuses to give up control as the UN backs the rebels! And down goes Gaddafi! October 2011, Gaddafi is captured and killed in the transitional government struggles to maintain control over the next year. Tragedy strikes in Benghazi as local Islamist groups kill four Americans, including the U.S. ambassador to Libya. A huge spike in violence forces the international community out of Libya as chaos and terror grips the country. Which brings us to today. And that's the Blitzstory. Oy vey. Okay, so things are not great in Libya today. No, no, they're really not. Uh, there is a tremendous amount of instability and violence today. So... Of course, uh, almost all the American media is focusing on is a story that happened back in 2012. Right. Well, you know, Benghazi was a major issue during the 2012 presidential election. Yeah. And at this rate, Benghazi is looking to be the centerpiece of the 2016 presidential election, too. It seems to be the GOP's favorite subject. Uh, and just to add fuel to the fire, the New York Times has just published a pretty thorough investigative report on what happened. Uh, and of course, the report contradicts a lot of what many on the right claimed. Which in no way changes their minds about it, as Representative Daryl Issa makes clear. Have you changed your mind based on the New York Times investigation? Were you wrong about that? We have seen no evidence that the video was widely seen in Benghazi. These are terrorist groups, some of them linked to or self-claimed as Al-Qaeda linked, and there was a group there that was involved that is linked to Al-Qaeda. Yeah, and if he seemed a little defensive there, uh, you can imagine how our friends at Fox took the news. The Times is reporting and suggesting that they couldn't find any evidence that Al-Qaeda or other international terrorist groups had any role in that assault. It also suggests the deadly attack was in part due to anger at an American-made video seen as anti-Islam. This goes against much of Fox News's own reporting. Nonsense. They also attacked a CIA compound a half mile away using mortars. And the New York Times says the attack was not planned. Are you kidding me? It is pure bull. Can we really trust a New York Times report claiming Al-Qaeda had nothing to do with the attack on our consulate in Benghazi? Keep in mind, the Times cites anonymous sources. <laughs> I love Steve Ducey's argument. How can we even trust the New York Times report? They used anonymous sources. Right? What kind of reliable news organization would run a report based on information from anonymous sources? Sources who continue to face threats of losing their jobs and thus remain anonymous sharply challenged the Times findings, telling Fox News, quote, it was a coordinated attack. Oh, got it. Never trust anonymous sources unless they corroborate your already decided upon narrative. But are those Fox News sources were only anonymous because they continue to face threats of losing their jobs. <laughs> As opposed to the New York Times sources, who were probably just facing threats of losing their lives. But, you know, tomato, tomato. But one sticking point here is that critics still insist al-Qaeda was involved, despite the New York Times report's conclusion that the attackers were local militants and not part of the terror organization. 
Yeah, it does seem weird, right? I mean, they're so adamant about the Al-Qaeda connection. Well, the report's author, David Kirkpatrick, explains the possible confusion. Uh, Here's a clip. There's just no chance that this was an Al-Qaeda attack if, by Al-Qaeda, you mean the organization founded by Osama bin Laden. If you're using the term Al-Qaeda to describe uh, even a local group of Islamist militants who may uh, dislike democracy or have a grudge against the United States, if you're going to call anybody like that Al-Qaeda, then okay. Oh, it totally works then, as long as you stretch the definition of Al-Qaeda to include anybody. It does seem like a lot of arguing over semantics here. At the end of the day, whatever the group is called, whatever their name is affiliated with Al-Qaeda, not affiliated with Qaeda, who cares what group they were in? Four Americans died. Yeah, I mean, you know, the fact is, whether they were local militants on the ground or part of a wider organization, it it really doesn't matter. I just wish someone in authority would bring up this fact. Oh, uh, you mean someone who was the Secretary of State during the attack? The fact is, we had four dead Americans. Was it because of a protest, or was it because of guys out for a walk one night who decided they'd go kill some Americans? What difference at this point does it make? It is our job to figure out what happened and do everything we can to prevent it from ever happening again, Senator. Well, there it is. Yeah, and that, that's Hillary Clinton in the hearings almost uh, a year ago. And, and that's the heart of it, right? I mean, whatever happened, it was a failure. But the important thing is making sure it doesn't happen again. Well, I think that's right. Making sure it never happens again has to be the priority. But I think when when most Americans think of Benghazi, uh, you know, they're just inundated with the politicalization of it all. And, you know, it's politicized because it's really a weakness for the president in his strongest area, foreign policy. Well, it's not like the president would ever politicize a foreign policy accomplishment. For the first time in two decades... Osama bin Laden is not a threat to this country. Now, one of my proudest possessions is the flag that the SEAL team took with them on the mission to get bin Laden. Ask Osama bin Laden and uh, the 22 out of 30 top al-Qaeda leaders who've been taken off the field uh, whether I engage in appeasement or whoever's left out there. Ask them about that. Oh, boom! You, you ask them. You can't. They're dead. You know, according to a recent book... Obama apparently told his aides during the 2012 election that he's, quote, really good at killing people. Whoa, I don't know if he actually said that, but he is really good at killing people. He is totally winning this international game of risk that he's playing. But look, you can't have it both ways. If you're going to make political hay out of your successes, then you've got to expect that your opponents are going to hammer you for any failures. Well, that's just politics. But clearly, Benghazi was a tragic event that raises important questions about readiness and security. So, of course, this is what everyone is focused on in the media. I don't know why they put it out unless it was for political reasons. Of course, uh, Secretary Clinton was in charge at the time. And, you know, there's just now a lot of rumors going and pushing and about her running for president in 2016. So, you know, I think they're already laying the groundwork. That's right, Representative Lynn Westmoreland. Hillary's 2016 presidential chances are what's most important about this story. That's just what Representative Westmoreland thinks. Some people have suggested, well, this is trying to clear the deck for Hillary Clinton in 2016. Yeah, I don't know, but I found it interesting that there's this rollout of stories. I find the timing odd. Okay, so Chris Wallace and Representative Mike Rogers might think that too. 
this New York Times Benghazi story, which was a whitewash for Hillary Clinton. Now we have the lingering Benghazi situation that may hurt Hillary Clinton in her presidential run. Talking Points believes that was the motivation for the way this investigation was framed by the New York Times. Benghazi will likely play a, a big role in the next election, particularly if Hillary Clinton runs. So how about this new poll making headlines this weekend if it's Hillary Clinton up against Chris Christie? That's right. Hillary Clinton leading all Republican potential candidates except for Chris Christie. Ah, Benghazi. Never forget that Hillary Clinton might run for president in 2016. <laughs> of course the GOP is going to go after Obama. I mean, it, frankly, they should. So, you know, people ask, what does Benghazi have to do with them? Well, one thing's for sure, you're going to be hearing about it because Benghazi is going to be one of the key themes for the GOP, especially if Hillary runs in the next election. They're clearly going to use it for everything, even to defend Chris Christie. Chris Christie! The reality is things go wrong in an administration. Uh, we, we see that with Benghazi. He had to know right. there was all that traffic. Well, yeah, I'm saying you miss things. Yeah, Rudy Giuliani's right. You miss things. Benghazi is totally like uh, causing a traffic jam on uh, the GW Bridge. Totally the same thing. Yeah. But it's not like this was the Obama administration's first issue with Libya. The president was already being criticized for his early handling of the rebel uprising against Gaddafi long before Benghazi was even news. Yeah, that's true. I think Herman Cain best summed up the complex and nuanced issues surrounding Libya. Okay, Libya. President Obama supported the uprising, correct? <laughs> Got all this stuff twirling around in my head. Kane's right. When it comes to Libya and Benghazi, the facts and evidence are all so unclear. It does leave everything swirling around in your head. Yeah, just as Lara Logan. Oh, well, that was a whole other disaster. But look, this is just it. Every few months, some new facts come out and someone says they know what happened. But here's the reality, okay? Nobody knows what the hell happened. And we probably never will. It could be 50 years before anything is even declassified. Well, sure. And, you know, the Benghazi attack also involved a, an attack on the CIA annex. You know, there were CIA agents on the ground. We know that there was a, a covert presence in Benghazi. So if you think anyone's going to be talking about this anytime soon, you know, the CIA here, we're talking about the same people that tried to assassinate Castro with exploding cigars and poison scuba suits. <laughs> and doesn't anybody watch Homeland? Yeah, and in Homeland, the ambassador was a CIA operative. And Lara Logan was leading the operation. Let's let's look to the bright side of things, though. Maybe uh, Maybe Libya has someone to lift their spirits during this troubled time. Huh? Well, here's a fun fact. Uh, Libya's most popular comedian is from Benghazi. Hey, there you go. Everyone's from Benghazi. <laughs> you know, I, it's always cool when we research these countries and we get to check out other comedy scenes from around the world. So in Libya, uh, they have a comedian. His name is Maloud Emroni. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, and this guy was a political comedian. But once the rebels overran Gaddafi's compound and forced Gaddafi into hiding... He quit. He quit political comedy. He said the jokes were just too easy. Yeah, he said, quote, this is his quote. I felt that if I make jokes about Gaddafi, they wouldn't be good jokes because he's too weak now and it's not good to make jokes about a weak guy. Political jokes were a weapon to fight with and now we don't need it. But maybe later. 
I like that he keeps himself an out. Like, eh, you know, if he gets back into power, I'm totally coming back to comedy. But, you know, it does bring up a good point, you know, uh, human rights violations and human suffering aside, Gaddafi was comedy gold. He is hilarious with his, his outrageous clothes and his Castro-length speeches. His bulletproof tent. Yeah, the bulletproof tent. This is amazing. Uh, so... At home in Tripoli, Gaddafi has this elaborate compound with a system of underground escape tunnels, and it's just very ornate. But Gaddafi also has this image as a Bedouin, which is very important for him to maintain. So when he travels abroad, he he would take a tent with him, a bulletproof tent. Yeah, a bulletproof tent that he brought with him everywhere he went across the globe. And just for decoration, Gaddafi would even tether a few camels outside. But get this, the tent was so heavy it needed to be flown on a separate plane. That reminds me of another leader who used to bring the comforts of home with him on long trips around the globe, President William Howard Taft. Which brings us to today's Taft Fact. Weighing in at over 330 pounds, President Taft was so fat, in his first year as president, he installed a customized bathtub in the White House that could handle his massive girth. The Taft tub was 7 feet long and 41 inches wide and was large enough to hold four normal-sized men. Taft also had massive tubs installed on two different battleships for his trips to inspect the Panama Canal so that he could comfortably bathe during his extended travel. And that's today's Taft Fact. You know, a few years ago, Gaddafi pitched his tent. Nice. Nice. Pitched his tent. (laughs) Classy, Kevin. Gaddafi pitched his tent on Donald Trump's property in upstate New York. Yeah, I guess Gaddafi tried to pitch a tent in Central Park and that wasn't allowed. So then Gaddafi tries to pitch a tent in another town and the mayor there won't let him. So here comes Donald Trump to the rescue. He's going to help Gaddafi pitch a tent. Uh, But then, of course, the news breaks, and then Trump sees the PR disaster, and he won't let Gaddafi come. Gaddafi remained in Manhattan. Trump issued a statement blaming some unidentified Middle Eastern business partners for the embarrassment. (laughs) That's great. Some unidentified Middle Eastern partner named me. (laughs) Obviously, if Gaddafi's, you know, so worried about security that uh, he's going to carry around a bulletproof tent, he probably also places a, a strong emphasis on his security detail. Oh, absolutely. The bulletproof tent was only one part of his uh, security arsenal. Gaddafi was protected by 40 well-trained bodyguards, all of them women. The bodyguards, called Amazons, were all reportedly virgins who took a vow of chastity upon joining. And the women were handpicked by Gaddafi, trained at an all-female military academy, and they wore elaborate uniforms as well as makeup and high-heeled combat boots. Unbelievable. Gaddafi is an honest-to-God, real-life supervillain. Bring in the fembots! Gaddafi had fembots! Gaddafi loved the ladies uh, so much, he used to have orgies, which he called bunga bungas, because that is the sign of maturity. But, uh, hey, before you get all judgmental, the orgies weren't all about sex, okay? He also had orgies of substance. On a 2009 visit to Italy, he invited 200 models to his ambassador's house, paying each $75 to listen to lectures on Islam. (laughs) But of all these women, there was only one who truly captured Gaddafi's heart. She is American, and you know her. She's none other than one of Hillary Clinton's predecessors as Secretary of State, Condoleezza Rice. 
Yeah, now this story is interesting because how could anyone possibly know the secrets of a despot's heart? I mean, even if he did feel that way about Condi, it's not like he was going to go around telling people about it. He said, I support my darling black African woman. I admire and very proud of the way that she leans back and gives orders to the Arab leaders. Lisa, 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 I love her very much. I admire her and I am proud of her because she's a black woman of African origin. Said that to Al Jazeera back in 2007. Yeah, so much for that theory, Benari. <laughs> okay, well, all right, so uh, the guy had a little crush on Condi. It wasn't just a little crush. When uh, she came to visit Tripoli uh, a number of years back, apparently he absolutely lavished her with $212,000 worth of gifts, uh, <laughs> including a diamond ring, a lute, and a locket with Gaddafi's picture. A Gaddafi locket! A lute! And we're not done! It wasn't until Libyan rebels stormed his compound that the extent of Gaddafi's true love was revealed. Libyan rebels getting their hands on more goodies from what some in Libya are calling Gaddafi's Pentagon. The rebels say they found everything from a gold-plated rifle to this photo album. It is Muammar Gaddafi's photo album filled with pictures of the former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice. Has anybody talked to Dr. Rice? I have not personally talked well, to Dr. Rice, but I'm sure she is enjoying seeing the album on television. Well, I, I, my hope is that Dr. Rice, Condoleezza Rice, is watching. Dr. Rice, if you are, please call us. We'd love to have a little conversation about this one. A whole photo album of Condoleezza Rice there with the old mad dog. I don't know. That skeeved me out a little bit. Not sure what's skeevier there. Gaddafi's photo album or the two lecherous Fox News reporters skeeving about it. Well, they got their wish because someone did talk to Condoleezza Rice about it, and it was none other than CNN's chief skeeve correspondent, Piers Morgan. Even when he left his palace, they found this glorious scrapbook in your honor. And when you went to see him, uh, you actually write on the book, and I'm going to read this back to you. At the end of the dinner, Gaddafi told me he'd made a videotape of me. Uh-oh, I thought, what's this going to be? It was quite an innocent collection of photos of me with world leaders set to the music of a song called Black Flower in the White House, written for me by a Libyan composer. It was weird, but at least it wasn't raunchy. Right. Uh, quite extraordinary. Yes, quite extraordinary. Uh, and weird and a bit creepy. <laughs> wow, weird and a bit creepy. Condi nailed it there. Uh, you could probably also describe Libya that way. Uh, it's weird and a bit creepy. Oh, yeah. And then, in the kind of award-winning journalism only Pierce Morgan can provide, he asked the following crucial follow-up question. He never made any kind of move on you then? No, the no. <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> and we only touched the surface. Yeah, there's really so much more we can talk about with Libya. We're going to have to get, get to this another time. We'll have to have a Libya part two. Absolutely. Libya's new travel slogan, Libya, there really is so much more. That's weird and creepy. Yes, we want to thank our producer, Shelley Lewis, our executive producer in charge of all producing, and Greg Russ, our sound engineer. He's in charge of all sounding. We'd also like to thank Darby and Barry for lending us their voices. Please follow us on Twitter, at WTFAWshow, at Kevin Janis, and at Benari Lee. You can also listen to us on SoundCloud, and hey, we're on iTunes now, so please subscribe to us on iTunes and like and share us. I'm Kevin Janis. I'm Benari Poulton. Please join us next time when we try to figure out where the fuck are we? Where the fuck are we?